that we go and everything that transpires in our life. Talking about a lifestyle of worship. And it's not easy to live a lifestyle of worship or to stay in close communion with God. And it's not just because we face gigantic hurdles or intense spiritual warfare as we try to live in fellowship with God. Although at times we we do face hurdles and we do have uh, spiritual warfare that comes against us. But A.W. Tozer once wrote, and I put this quote in your note sheet today, that complacency is the deadly foe of all spiritual growth. C.S. Lewis, another great author in the 20th century, expressed a similar thought, but in a little bit different way. He said this. He said, we need to learn the secret of the burning heart. Suddenly, Jesus appears to us and the fires are kindled and we have wonderful visions. Then we have to learn to keep the secret of the burning heart that will go through anything. And listen to what he says about the secret of keeping this burning heart. It is the dull, bald, dreary, commonplace day with commonplace duties and people that kills the burning heart unless we've learned the secret of abiding in Jesus. You know, these last couple of weeks, we've talked about what it means to worship God personally by loving him with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul, as Jesus said in the great commandment. Last week, uh, we saw where Jesus taught the Samaritan woman that the true worship that God seeks is done in spirit and in truth. So worshiping God personally in spirit and in truth with our heart, mind, and soul comes as we practice the spiritual disciplines. And I've said that before. You've heard me say that uh, and will continue to hear me say that we, we worship God through the practice of the spiritual disciplines. And if you've ever tried to practice the spiritual disciplines, you know that they're not easy. It's not easy to, to consistently read your Bible and pray and, and uh, memorize scripture and be in fellowship with other believers. That's why I think Tozer and Lewis hit the nail on the head as to the greatest hurdle we have in overcoming this tendency against worshiping God personally. That of complacency or the ho-hum, ordinary pace of life that causes us to try to live in our power Instead of the power of God moving into and living and working through us. So this morning, I want us to look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 to look at the antidote to complacency in the Christian life. Romans 12 is the antidote to complacency in the Christian life. In verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, the Apostle Paul tells us that to know and do the will of God, we must give and think like God. To know and do the will of God, we must give and think like God. Now, Romans 12 comes at the end of Paul's discourse on the incredible gift of salvation that God has given through his son, Jesus Christ. And as Paul so often did, he didn't just teach doctrine and theology, as important as they are. We need right doctrine and sound theology because it's the foundation upon which we build our lives and live everything from who God is and what God calls us to do. So Paul lays a great foundation of doctrine and theology But in chapter 12, he turns the corner and applies these truths to the lives of his listener. 
He says, you understand this concept correctly. Therefore, since you understand this incredible gift of salvation, here's what you should do. And here's how you flesh this out in your life. That's why Romans 12, 1 starts with the word, therefore. He's tying it to what has already taken place. Therefore, since you have received this gift of salvation, he says, I urge you, brothers. And so Paul is speaking here to believers who have placed their faith in Christ. He says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, recognizing that it's by God's mercy we're saved. We don't merit. We don't earn salvation. We're not worthy of the salvation that God gives us through Christ. But because of his mercy, God gives us the gift of of salvation through Jesus Christ. So Paul says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Here Paul uses imagery and words associated with offerings that took place at the temple to describe what should take place in our lives as we seek to personally worship God. This first technical term that he uses is the word offer. When Paul says, offer your bodies, that word uh, is the word that was used to describe an animal that you gave as an offering to God. People would bring an animal to the temple. They would give it to the priest. That priest would take that animal and he would kill it. That animal would be slain on behalf of that person. Then they would take that slain animal. They would lay it on the altar where the fire would burn and would consume that offering. And God would receive that offering as it came in smoke, either to uh, be the sacrifice for sins of the person that was bringing the offering. Maybe it was a thank offering where they were thanking God for a blessing. And so God would receive that thank offering for them. Maybe they were consecrating a child, which was, again, instructed that we would come and give this animal on behalf of a child that we had received or any other number of reasons for which a person would bring an offering. So this animal was brought. It was the offering. So Paul uses this word of the offering to say, offer your bodies. So in doing this, Paul makes a huge change. He totally shifts this concept of offerings because now we're not having to bring animals and give them as sacrifices. Jesus Christ died once and for all so that we don't have to continue bringing animals for them to be sacrificed on our behalf. And so as we think about this new covenant, people would say, well, we no longer have to bring animals because Jesus died as an offering, as a sacrifice on my behalf. And so in their minds, the altar fire goes out. The priest can pack up and head home because he's not needed to offer offerings or sacrifices on behalf of the people anymore and he kind of turned the lights on when he left and so it's it's cold and dark there and paul says no 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 that's not how it works you now are your own priest you have direct access to god through jesus christ you don't have to come to the priest who does it on your behalf you come to god and we come to the altar in our lives and instead of placing an animal on that altar we crawl up on the altar To become the sacrifice. Paul says, offer your bodies. And he means your living, breathing, moving, active body. Yourself. Paul says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. So he totally changes this idea of offering. It's not an animal that's going to die. It's now you, me, a person who's alive on the altar, surrendered to God for God to receive and use for his glory and his honor and to continue his work. And so it's good news for us. We don't have to die physically. But we are called to, in the Bible, to die symbolically each day to ourselves. 
to our flesh, to our wants and desires. Basically to say, God, what would you have me do in this situation, in this day, in this moment right now? God, what would you have me do on your behalf and for the sake of your kingdom and for your glory? That we die to self and live for Christ. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice that we continually over and over again give ourselves to God to be used for his purposes. The word sacrifices here is another technical term from this concept of temple sacrifices. Some people have argued that the body is something that we don't have to worry about. Our soul is what lives on forever, and it's our soul that is redeemed. And so the bodies, they are, they are just a shell. They're a temporary home. So we don't worry about our bodies because they're going to be done away with, and then they're redone as we enter into eternity and receive new glorified bodies. And so that led some on the one extreme to say, hey, if the bodies don't matter, just if it feels good, do it. And that led others on the other extreme to say, well, if the body doesn't matter, just neglect your body and and just, you know, abuse it any way that you want to. Uh, It doesn't matter. We can can just live how we want to because the body is secondary. But I say, let's back that train up for just a minute before we start doing away with the body and casting it aside. Because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is the dwelling place where the Holy Spirit comes and lives and indwells in us who have placed our faith and our trust in Christ. So in 1 Corinthians 6, at the end of that chapter there, uh, Paul writes and says, Honor God with your body. Honor God with your body. A lot of ramifications of honoring God and realizing that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Can I say two words? Diet, exercise. Oh, Yeah, that's honoring God with our bodies and taking care of our bodies so that our bodies can be used in service for God and for his kingdom. I heard people one time that this guy, he made a comment. He said, well, I would rather burn out than rust out. You know, saying I'm a hard driven person and I go and the devil never rests. So, man, I'm always going and working and keep pressing. I'd rather burn out than rust out. And I thought about that. And I was like, you know, the problem with that mindset is this. Either way, you're out. And God doesn't want you out. God wants you in, in his kingdom, in the game, on mission to do what God has called you to do. So we should care for our bodies so that they don't burn out or rust out. We should be in the game, caring for our bodies, the temple of the Holy Spirit that God can use it. You know, along that same line, somebody once said, well, well, the devil never rests, so why should I? I'm like, you're right. Satan doesn't rest. God rested. Who do you want to be more like? You know, care for our bodies. Diet and exercise and rest and all of these things are part of what that means. But when the, when the Bible uses the term body or the term flesh, those are used interchangeably. And they refer to our physical body, but they can also refer to our emotional state as human beings or even our psychological state of being sometimes. And our bodies, our flesh can either do good things and right things and things that honor God or our bodies and our flesh can do sinful ungodly, unholy things that disobey uh, and bring dishonor to God. And the Bible speaks of our flesh, of our bodies being prone to sexual immorality and to greed and to anger and to pride and to many, many other things that you don't need me to list. We know that our bodies struggle with these sinful things. 
But the Bible tells us that it's with our bodies, with our flesh, that we minister to those who are in need. We take care of the sick. We feed the needy. We, we go and we're the hands and the feet of Christ to those uh, who have needs in their lives. We're ambassadors for Christ in our bodies, in our flesh. So the body is extremely important in our spiritual lives. I mean, just think about it. You understand how important our body is. If I could some way remove my brain from my body and keep it alive and put it in a jar... It don't need to be a baby food jar. I know what you're thinking, and that's fine. A baby food jar would suffice. But if I could get my brain out of my body alive and put it into a jar, what could my brain do sitting there on the shelf? I would hope it would think a thought or two maybe that it's going to be able to think a little bit. But if I'm going to know something from God's word, I need my eyes or, or my hands if I'm blind to be able to read and study God's word. If I'm going to hear God's word that I might obey it or come to salvation, I need ears to take these sound waves and translate them into whatever it translate them to to go to my brain so I can hear and understand. If I want to share the gospel with someone or call someone and pray for them and encourage them in some way, I need a mouth with lips and tongues and, and a head to, to be able to speak from. And if I'm going to go and minister to someone in some way uh, and, and try and, and be the hands and feet of Christ, I need my legs and my body to actually go and take me to be able to do that. So you see that our body is important. It's an important tool and resource for helping us know and experience a relationship with God. We need our bodies. So what Paul was teaching is that the physical body can either be controlled by the redeemed soul that surrendered to God and serves his purposes. Our body can be used in that way, controlled by our soul that's in Jesus Christ, or our bodies can be used and controlled by our sinful nature and the lusts of our flesh that are constantly under satanic attack. The question then is this. Which one are you going to allow to be in control of your body and the life you live through your body? We can be controlled by either of those two sources. Which one will you be controlled? Which one will you put into the driver's seat of your body? I read the story of a man uh, who lived in the Alaskan wilderness and he would come into town each week to buy some supplies and take back out to his home in the wilderness. And as this man would come into town, he would bring two dogs with him. He had a black dog and a white dog. He would bring these two dogs into town. And as he would come into town, he would take bets and then he would fight these dogs. People would wager on the black or the white dog and who was going to win. And every time this man left town, he went home with a wad of money in his pocket because he always seemed to know which dog was going to win? One day the man stopped coming into town, stopped bringing his dogs, and he was gone for a period of several months. Finally, he reappeared and he came into town and he stopped at a store to get some supplies. And the store owner recognized him and began to talk to him and have a conversation. And finally, he got the courage to say, sir, he said, I've always wondered, how did you know? How did you know which dog was going to win? Because I always lost money. People lost money when those dogs would fight. There was never any pattern or any rhyme or reason. How did you know which one was going to win? The man looked at him and said, it's very simple. The dog that I fed that week won. And that's true. That's true in our lives. That which we feed wins in our life. 
control of our body, of our thoughts, and of all that we do. It is the battle that rages within our body, the battle of following after the things of God or following after the things of the world. So which one are you going to feed? That is why Paul challenges us as believers to be living sacrifices that we feed and we live in the spiritual realm, on the spiritual side of this decision-making instead of in the flesh and on the worldly side. And Paul calls this our spiritual act of worship. Being a living sacrifice is how we live out our personal worship of God. He says it's a spiritual. Spiritual is that which we can't quantify and measure. It's our spiritual act. That word for act is another technical term that's sometimes translated service. It's your spiritual service of worship. And that term was associated with anything that needed to be done in and around the temple courts. From the priest offering the sacrifices to the guy uh, guarding the door of who was going to come in or come out and then sweeping the temple. Anything that was done in service to God in the temple counted as service or an act of worship to God because it was being done for him. Even the most mundane, ordinary task was an act of service, an act of worship to God. And so Paul says, this is your spiritual act of worship. So worship isn't just about receiving from God, even though we talk about sitting at his feet and all that God pours into our life. Because the more we worship God and the closer we draw to him, that causes us to want to give and do more for God. And what God asks is that we're surrendered to him. It's one of the greatest ironies in all of scripture. To know more of God, give more of yourself. Think about that. To know more of God, give more of yourself. Part of the reality in that is simply the more we give of ourselves, that we give away, there's more room within us to be filled with the presence of God himself. Now, that sounds counterintuitive in our what-have-you-done-for-me-lately culture and society that we live in today, but it's what the Bible teaches. If you want to know more of God, give more of yourself first to him and then to others. And it's almost like Paul can hear his reader saying, yeah, Paul, that's fine and good, but how do you live in the spiritual side of things and not in the fleshly side of things? So without that being spoken, Paul goes on to kind of answer that question and to tell us how to have our spirit, not our flesh, control our body. He says in verse 2, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, the word conform means to be molded or shaped. And its most common usage uh, in that day and time was to describe molding clay around a form, molding and shaping clay into something or casting metal, as in pouring a hot metal into a form or into a mold. And it's a word that's in the passive tense, meaning that the object let something else do the conforming. The clay didn't mold itself. It says, mold me into this and, or pour me into this cast and, uh, and I will become that. So it was, it was done to it. And the word that Paul uses there when he says, don't be conformed 
to the pattern of this world. The, the word world there means an age or an era, like a period of time. And he's referring to the age and the world of sinfulness and disobedience against God that is around us. So Paul's saying, don't be conformed to the things of this world, which are only going to last until Christ returns. And then he's going to make all things right. Don't be conformed to that pattern. He says, but be transformed. Don't be conformed, be transformed. And this is from the word metamorpho, from which we get the word metamorphosis. And you've heard that word and you understand that concept, I hope. A metamorphosis is a fundamental change in something without altering its identity. And it's most easily seen and described in the process of seeing a caterpillar crawl into a cocoon, metamorphing. I think is an appropriate use of that word. Uh, if not, then I just made it up. But it's metamorphing while it's in the cocoon, cocoon, and then it comes out as a butterfly, just like this, which you may have seen before. I caught a little wormy, a crawling up a tree. He wiggled here, he wiggled there, he wiggled right at me. I put him in a shoebox and told him stay right there. But when I opened up the box, a butterfly was there. I don't know how it happened. I couldn't if I tried. Cause only the great Lord above can make a butterfly. How cute. Catchy song. You'll be humming that all day going, thank you. I got that song stuck in my head now. But the caterpillar as a creature stayed the same. But everything on the exterior and around him and about him radically changed. Like if we could speak to that caterpillar and say, what's your name? His name was Sam. And he crawls in the cocoon and he comes out and we say, what's your name, butterfly? And he'd say, I'm Sam. It's still me. I look different and I act different now, but it's still me. And that caterpillar that comes out as a butterfly sees and experiences everything in the world in a radically different way. No longer does it live on the ground or the branch or on the leaf, but now it flies and it floats on the wind to experience things it would never have been able to do had it stayed a caterpillar. And that's how radical our transformation is in Jesus Christ. We experience and see and do things we never thought possible because of what Christ does in us and through us. Now, I said the word conform was in passive tense, meaning something else does the changing for it. So we're contrasting conforming to being transformed. So you'd say, well, then, transforming is in the active tense. We pursue, we do the transformation process, and we would assume that to be the case because we see the contrast. But if you assume that, you're wrong. Because the word for transformation is also in the passive tense, meaning this, trans. Forming is something that is done to us as well. We do not transform ourselves into the likeness of Jesus Christ. The little song on there says, only the Lord above is the one who can make a butterfly. And likewise, only God can transform us into the image and likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. It is his work in and through us. It's not a work that we do on our own. And so Paul tells us where this battle for transformation is, is fought. He says it's by the renewing of your mind. 
When we looked a few weeks ago at the importance of loving God with all of our minds, I talked about how we should keep our minds fixed and our thoughts focused on the things of Christ in our lives. And here Paul underscores that teaching and reminds us that it's extremely important for us to win this battle for our minds. Your mind and your thoughts are the control center. They're the command center for what you do or do not do in your body. If you're sitting in your chair watching television and you say, hmm, I want some popcorn, your brain has that thought, you say, hmm, I want some popcorn, it doesn't appear in front of you just magically. Your brain says, I want popcorn, and so it says, legs, body, stand up. And so you stand up, and you go to the kitchen, and you unwrap the popcorn, and you put it in the microwave, and you punch the buttons, and you listen for it to pop between one and three seconds at the end so you don't burn it. And then you get it out, put it in a bowl, and you go back to your seat. You do that in your body because you thought, I want some popcorn. And your brain said, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do it. All right, your body working together. So we've got to win this battle of our minds because our mind determines what we do or what we don't do. And this, again, the story of those two dogs is essential in this area because we, what we feed our minds determines what's produced and evidenced in our lives. I know you've heard it said this way, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. Garbage in, garbage out. You understand the concept. And Paul tells us this transforming work of Christ takes place within us when we renew our minds. That is regularly and consistently making sure we're focused on the things of God and not the things of the flesh in our life. And in 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul gives probably the most clear, succinct instructions on how to win this battle for our mind. He says this, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Any thought that we think, any idea that comes into our mind that does not lead us to closer to God or to honor Him in some way, Paul said we demolish it. We destroy or annihilate those thoughts and those ideas. And then he goes on to say, we take captive. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. An incredible word picture, grabbing those thoughts and making them obedient to conform to the will of God and to the word of God in our lives. Now, I'm not telling you that we are never going to be tempted because we will always be tempted. Even Jesus was tempted. The Bible says he was tempted yet was without sin. That's because temptations were set before Jesus. And then Jesus was able to take his thoughts, his mind, and focus it on the things of God instead of the temptation that was set before him. And how did Jesus focus on the things of God instead of the temptation that was before him? Through the word of God. He quoted scripture. Every temptation that we see recorded in, in Matthew chapter 4 that Satan set before him, Jesus countered that temptation by quoting the word of God. So he focused his mind on the word of God, the things of God, instead of the temptation that was before him. Way back in week one, I told you that a biblical definition, worship in its most fundamental form was these things. Acknowledging who God is, surrendering oneself to God, and then serving God through words and actions. And that's what we've seen through this series of worship. 
That's why our first core value as a church and my heartbeat for the people that God brings to our church is to know and to set out on a journey to worship God personally. That you would know the fullness of what it means to be in relationship and close communion and fellowship with him day in and day out. That is my challenge to you this morning. Will you personally worship God and be a living sacrifice for him by allowing the Holy Spirit to transform you as you focus your mind on the things of God instead of the things of the flesh and the things of this world? The end of Romans 12, 2 tells us the result that will happen if we will do those things. Paul says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. To test means to examine, to evaluate, and to consider something. And if that measures up to God's word and brings us closer to God, then then we can live that out and pursue that in our lives. But if we test something and it doesn't approve and meet God's standard and what God would have in our lives, then we reject it and we move away from it. We set that, that thing aside. Worship is not purely inward and private. That's not the kind of worship that God seeks. Biblical worship must express itself in acts of service done in the body. That's why James said, faith without works is dead. Our faith produces and leads us to work out our salvation and to use our flesh, our bodies, to proclaim and make known the name of Christ in all that we do. I think it was St. Francis of Assisi who one time said, In everything, preach Christ. And if necessary, use words. In everything, preach Christ. And if necessary, use words. Living your life in the body as a sacrifice for Jesus Christ. As we come to our time of invitation this morning, you're invited. If you have never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, we would love to share with you today from God's word how you can do that, how you can begin life as a new creature, a new creation, transformed and being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Just as we saw with the butterfly that you will experience life that you never thought possible through your relationship with Jesus Christ. But for those of you who are believers this morning, my challenge for you is to be the living sacrifice that Paul talked about by keeping your mind fixed on the things of God and seeking to know more of God each and every day through his word and through prayer, through practice of the spiritual disciplines. And when God reveals that something is good and and, and draws you closer to him, then pursue it, go for it. But if God reveals that something is bad, then the debate's over. There's no more question about it. Get rid of it, get away from it, leave those things behind. If you want to live a godly life, and I hope and pray that you do, fix your mind today on seeking God through his word and the practice of the spiritual disciplines and allow his transforming power to change you into the likeness of Jesus Christ so that your body and your life can bring God the glory that he deserves.